Well, good morning. So good to see you. We are excited to be here this week and so thankful for the opportunity that uh, you've given us to come and to worship with you, to sing these songs and to study God's Word. I don't take this opportunity lightly, I want to tell you that. Uh, I feel honored that the elders would have enough confidence in me to come and to study with you this week. And we hope and our desire is that you will benefit, that this congregation will uh, be more like Jesus at the end of the week. That's what we're striving for, isn't it? It's to be more like him. And I uh, want to say to the song leaders this morning, thank you for the songs that was led. Uh, the last song in particular how wonderful of a song it is. And I'm so thankful to be able to be in a crowd like this today and to sing a song that says, In Christ alone, my hope is dead. That's it, isn't it? It's only in Jesus. And because today, in our society, I believe that we live, I don't think that ever in my life that the name of Jesus has been as maligned as it is today. People are really uh, become bold about speaking against Christ and against speaking against who he is. And maybe it's because they don't understand, but they are bold in it. Think about this. In your life, have you ever known the name of Jesus to be reduced to a euphemism that it is today? And just a slang cuss word. And people use it as if it's nothing. And maybe it's a lack of understanding of who Jesus is and what his name really means. To be able to reduce him to a slang word. Now I know that profanity's been around uh, ever since man has been here. Obviously, and uh, one of the Ten Commandments is that we would not use the name of the Lord our God in vain. But never have I ever seen in my life the name of Jesus more maligned than it is today. Today, I'd like to ask you a question of who is Jesus Christ after all? Who is he? Somebody says, that's a foolish question. We're here in this assembly today. We know who he is. But I want to tell you, there was uh, many people in the past, 2,000 years ago, that didn't know who he was. They didn't understand it. Jesus himself asked this question on numerous occasions. We want to look at three different instances where uh, he was concerned about what people thought about him and they understood whether or not who he was and what his motive and his goal. Today, you and I may have some misunderstandings ourselves and may not fully appreciate who Jesus is. Jesus was not understood 2,000 years ago, and I venture to say that he's not understood today. Many misconceptions, we want to look at a few this morning for a brief period of time about what the misconceptions of Jesus and who he is. We must continue to teach, brethren, as God's people, who he was not <laughs> and who he is. Some of the misconceptions of the first century is found in Matthew 16. When Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, I've 
used this passage several times to illustrate the point that Jesus is intently interested in you knowing who he is. He wants you to understand his purpose, his reign, his power, the role in your life and my life, the role in the church. He wants you to understand that. Verse 14 says that they said unto him, some say John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. The misconceptions of the first century was misunderstanding who Jesus was and his role that he was playing. His purpose, if you will. You know, Jesus prayed that we be one, that we be united as one, as he and the Father are one. For a long time I struggled with that, is how in the world can you and I be united in the same way that God and the Father, or the Father and Jesus are united in one? And then it occurred to me that we can, on three different bases, be like him in our unity. Number one, we can have a purpose that's the same. And many people misunderstand Jesus and his purpose. Some people said John the Baptist. And they saw Jesus as a John the Baptist, one who was a powerful preacher. John the Baptist preached in the wilderness. People went out to the wilderness to hear him. <laughs> they were willing to go and sacrifice to do that. Another one was Elijah. Some people misunderstood Jesus as Elijah, one who was, had a communication with God to the point that he could call down fire from heaven. And they saw Jesus as one who was a miracle worker. And much like Elijah in that respect is that he had that kind of relationship with God. But they still misunderstood him. Some Jeremiah. For any of you who have studied the book of Jeremiah, you understand this weeping prophet. And you understand his love for the people. And Jeremiah being willing to sacrifice for the people. And they see Jesus that way. And then others see him as one of the prophets. Sadly today, that same misconception occurs as one of the prophets. Just a teacher. There was a uh, person that went to Israel recently. And they came back with this video. And they went to Israel and they asked the question of the man on the street, if you will. The video of who is Jesus? What do you think they said? And I wonder if they ask you today, who is Jesus? Somebody say, well, Jesus to me. Jesus to me means this and means that. With, with the folks over at Israel today, uh, many of them said, well, Jesus is the founder of the Christian religion. He's nothing to me. That's what many said. Many. And I found it amazing by watching this uh, documentary that things in Israel has not changed much from 2,000 years ago. It's still the same today. And that, that heritage that they have taught that is opposed to Christ as being the Messiah, as Jesus being the Messiah, is still as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago for those folks. But the primary answer was Jesus to me. I want to tell you today, if you're looking at Jesus and you're looking at him as what he is to you, and what he is to someone else, you probably have a misconception of Jesus. He cannot be one thing to one person and one thing to another person. 
He cannot mean something to one and something else to someone else. And we'll get into that. But that thought process is conveyed in just about every aspect of our culture today. All of these answers, I want to remind you in Matthew 16, were religious answers. (laughs) And a lot of times when we talk about Jesus, what we want to do is we want to give a religious answer thinking that somehow that's going to convey that we have some kind of relationship with him. And many people, they they answer that way. Well, these folks gave religious answers, but those answers were not sufficient. Because one may have some religious answers doesn't mean that they know Jesus. Peter rose on that occasion. He said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. This constituted the great and good confession that Christian faith is built upon. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus told Peter that day, He said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's the answer that Jesus was looking for. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. There was another question that Jesus asked on an occasion. And that's what think ye of Christ. Matthew 22, verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. Jesus wanted to know what they thought of Christ, the Messiah. Who is this Messiah going to be? He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? Not a great question. How then doth David in spirit call him Lord? The son of David. I want to tell you that was a correct answer. They gave a correct answer. They just didn't give a comprehensive answer. And many people today look at Jesus and they look at his heritage and they look at where he came from and his birthright and they see a portion of who he is. But with these folks, the deity of Jesus is what they devoutly rejected. And I present to you an idea today that that's what people are rejecting today is the deity of Jesus. They will accept the fact that he was born of a woman. But I'll tell you, if, if all he was was just born of a woman, and even through the line of David... And the Bible goes to great lengths to show us his genealogy on both sides of Mary and Joseph to show that he did come from David and from Abraham. But even if that was the case, that he was in uh, line with so many other people. The deity of Jesus is what so many people reject today. Let me 
give you an idea today that if you're rejecting the deity of Jesus, then you're rejecting who he is completely and entirely. For if we accept him only as a prophet, even as one with a religious answer like John the Baptist, Elijah, or Jeremiah, even if we accept him on those terms and we reject his deity, we are rejecting Jesus. Somebody says, well, what does it mean to accept the deity of Jesus? Well, if you accept the deity of Jesus, let me ask you this. Would you not be obligated to obey him? If Jesus is God, then aren't you obligated to obey and to abide in him? What think you of Christ? Whose son is he? Jesus is 100% man and he's 100% God. Now, that's a hard concept for us to appreciate. We look at our genetics, and, we, and, and I know people that go to great lengths to try to find out what region of the world that they come from. And they'll say, I'm 60% or 40% or whatever. But think about being 100% God and 100% man. I've heard this taught or spoken of, not really taught, but spoken of in the idea that Jesus was half God and half man. I'm going to tell you there's nothing further from the truth. Jesus was not half God and half man. And people looking at the deity of Jesus, if they reject his deity, they are rejecting God. And if you reject God, then you are without hope. And if you reject God, then you are rejecting him as Lord. So the Jews, they didn't have any problem whatsoever in accepting his genealogy from Joseph all the way back to David, all the way back to Abraham. That's fine. But we're not going to reject him as God or we're not going to accept him. Thus, re rejecting his deity, they reject him. Today, we sing songs about Jesus. We sing songs about in him alone. We sing songs about his deity. In our hearts, are we accepting his deity? Why call you me Lord, Lord, do not the things that I tell you, Jesus said. Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. This was the only way that Jesus could have been the son of David and been David's Lord. In asking this question then, Jesus is bringing us to an understanding of who he is. If I am the son of David, and if David calls me Lord, then who am I? I am 100% man and 100% God. No one on earth can answer this question unless he acknowledges the humanity and the deity of Jesus. This morning, I want to bring us to the thought and to the remembrance of who Jesus is. Yes, indeed, he was flesh. 100% man. So much man that he could go to a grave of his friend and weep. 
but yet so much God that he could call Lazarus forth and raise him from the dead. So much man that he could climb onto a ship and go into the belly of the ship and go to sleep to rest his weary bones. But yet so much God that he could rise and he could calm the sea and the sea would obey him. So much man that he could hunger on the cross. And so much man that he could die on the cross. But yet so much God that he could be raised from the dead. And become the bread of life for all those who follow after him and satisfy them completely and entirely. We see Jesus' humanity and we see his deity. To accept one and to reject the other is to reject Jesus. I cannot reject his humanity even any more than I can reject his deity. There were those who taught in the apostles' days falsely that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. Today, that is not taught that I know of. But what is taught is that Jesus is not supreme. Because if he is supreme, then I am obligated to follow him. I am obligated to obey him. I'm obligated to serve him. Who is Jesus? John 12, 32, the scripture says, And if I be lifted up from earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. Now I want to point out the question that was asked, Jesus, by those who heard this statement. The people answered him, we have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And they were speaking of the Messiah. We know that the Messiah is going to, to, to abide forever. They know that from the law. We have heard that the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So the question about Jesus then now comes to who is the Son of Man? We understand the Messiah is coming. We understand the Messiah is going to reign in a kingdom forever. But you're saying that you have to be lifted up, meaning that he's going to die. And meaning that he's going to be resurrected. You see, the dilemma came from these folks of ignoring two very important facts. Number one, the Messiah must be lifted up. The scriptures spoke of his death. They had to ignore that in order to maintain their view of Jesus, of the Messiah, of who they wanted him to be. And they would ignore the fact that he was going to die because the Jews thought honestly that Jesus or the Messiah was going to come and he was going to set up a kingdom and he was going to reign. He was going to relieve them from all of the Roman tribulation and all of the taxation, all of this political power that was so corrupt. He's going to relieve them. Now Jesus is saying, I've got to die <laughs> and I've got to be lifted up and I'll draw all men into me if I'm, if I'm lifted up. Secondly, they had to ignore the fact that he was going to be raised. This would allow for the Messiah to rule in the kingdom of his church. You see, Jesus had to die 
And he had to be buried and he had to be raised again. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in accomplishing this as the Messiah, then he can rule in a kingdom forever. They had to ignore in order to maintain the view of the Messiah that they wanted so desperately. Of this political Messiah. They had to ignore these facts of the gospel. Of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How can the Messiah die and yet live forever and rule in a messianic kingdom? How can that happen? With their theology it was impossible. And today, no one who rejects Jesus as the Son of God can answer the same question today. of How can he die? How can he be buried and raised again to rule in a messianic kingdom? Today, our misconceptions are very similar, but yet different. Let's notice a few of them. Today, we read and see people talk about a Christ who is created by modernism and a liberal philosophy. Many people today deny his virgin birth. If they deny his virgin birth, then they deny his deity. Some people deny that he is God altogether, but rather have him as a created angel. And a very uh, large organization of people today teach that very thing. Who is Jesus? And I suggest to you that that question that Jesus asked so long ago by, to so many people, you need to ask it to people and you need to ask it to your children. Who is Jesus? We need to know. Many people today deny his precious atoning blood. Either verbally or in practice. For you see, if I reject the gospel of Jesus Christ then I reject his atoning blood. If I reject obedience to the gospel, I reject his atoning blood. And if I reject his atoning blood, then I have rejected him and I have rejected any hope that I have of salvation. Some have imagined Jesus of needing a vicar on earth. A spokesman, a figurehead. He's not capable of ruling this kingdom without having a man. Some have imagined that Christ is pleased with every institution that calls itself a church. It's one of the major problems that we have, and I believe that it comes from a misconception of who Jesus is because either he's Lord or he's not. True? Either he's Lord or he's not. Either he has a church, a kingdom, or he doesn't. And if God is pleased with every institution that may call itself a church, then maybe it's because of misunderstanding of who the Lordship of Jesus Christ really is. Some have imagined that he's pleased with, with them regardless of what is taught or not taught. I believe this has become very prevalent today. I believe that many people, perhaps even in this assembly this morning, that deep down you think that God's pleased with me no matter what. 
I live a good life. I try not to harm people. I'm not a thief. I'm not a murderer. I'm not any of those things. I'm a decent guy, and God's pleased with me. I've got a, I've got a neighbor that I love dearly, but his platform of his faith, and he states it to me plainly every so often. He says, John 3, 16 is all I know. It's all I know. It's all I want to know. It's all I'm going to know. In other words, God is pleased with me because he loves me. Now, this holds a particle of truth. God does love you. (laughs) But he's not pleased with everything that you do and everything that you are. Our righteousness is not found within ourselves, but it's found in Jesus. So then if I have imagined him to be pleased with me no matter what I do, as long as I live a clean, decent life, I don't understand who Jesus is. And I don't understand the impartation of righteousness and the reconciliation of righteousness that Christ has made for me. When we start examining ourselves in the light and in the view of Christ as our standard, as our template, if you will, for righteousness, then we can understand that we lack righteousness that we lack holiness, and that God is not pleased with everything that we do and everything that we are. Today, many Reformed churches have manufactured a Messiah that is ever-changeable and always eager to conform to whatever is desired. And the argument always comes up as culture changes. How many of you have heard that argument? It's always culture. Our culture is different today than it was 2,000 years ago. I'll tell you, our culture may be different, but God is not different. God hasn't changed. And the things that Christ spoke 2,000 years ago were applicable 2,000 years ago, and they are timeless. They are eternal. Jesus said that he spoke the words of life. Today we live in a time where we think that culture dictates. And our culture is constantly changing, so therefore God must accept our culture. And we've created a Christ from modernism and relativism of liberal philosophy that constantly changes. The premillennialist has a, has a Jesus who is without a throne, without a kingdom. Think about that. They'll recognize Jesus as king, but a king without a kingdom, what is he? He's going to come back and set up a kingdom. He's going to reign for a thousand years. It's a misunderstanding of the kingdom and it's a misunderstanding of the Messiah. A king without a kingdom is an impotent king. Jesus is not weak. Jesus is able and capable and he rules a kingdom today. The Jews misunderstood Jesus because they were looking for a materialistic kingdom 
Today, people misunderstand Jesus and his salvation because they are looking for a materialistic kingdom and a kingdom of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. A kingdom where finally Jesus will receive after thousands of years and finally rule for a thousand years and then turn the kingdom back over to the Father. That's not the Jesus, not the Messiah of the Bible. The Messiah of the Bible is that Jesus went to a far country, to heaven, to receive a kingdom. And he told his followers to occupy till I come. And today you and I are in occupation of a kingdom. Where Jesus is the ruler. Where Jesus is the head. Now if he is the head of the church... If he is the ruler of this kingdom, then you and I are his servants and we are obligated to obey him. So we have to answer this. We have to answer this question. He cannot be something to someone and something else to another. Jesus is either Lord or he's nothing. My lesson this morning to you and my admonition to you this morning is to make Jesus Lord of your life. And you do that through humble surrender to him. Romans 10 and 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Somebody says, that's what I believe. <laughs> I believe that. You know that word confess uh, some, somehow along the way, I think that we have misunderstood what God is telling us to do. If I make a confession of something, what I'm doing is I'm making an agreement. I'm agreeing with it. Even if I confess that I am my sins, I'm confessing that I am a sinner. I'm agreeing with God that I'm a sinner. I'm in agreement of those things. When one comes forward and they make the confession that they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, they are basically, fundamentally saying, I am in agreement completely with God of who He is. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. What are you saying when you say that? And what are you agreeing with? You're agreeing that God, that Jesus is 100% man and He's 100% God. That he's the son of man and he's the son of God. That he is both. Now if he is the son of man, then he endured all things as we have endured. He's tempted in all points as we are tempted. He's experienced losses that we've experienced. He's experienced successes in the flesh. The same as we've experienced. If he's 100% God then that means he is deity. That he was involved in the creation. And he was. And the Spirit moved upon the water, upon the deep. This Holy Spirit of God involved in the creation. Then the Father says, let us make man after our image. Jesus was involved in the creation. Why, even Abraham saw Jesus and recognized him for who he was. He is God. 
And if he's God, and when I say that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, I'm saying that Jesus is deity, that he is Lord. Now, if he's Lord, then he becomes the master of my life. Philippians 2 and 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with him. Jesus was equal with God. He was 100% God. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. This form that he's calling the servant as he came in the flesh. And coming in the flesh, he suffered. He had all the experiences that you and I experience. There's nothing that you have gone through that Jesus does not understand. As a man. Not only as God, but as a man. But took upon himself the no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. Notice he was equal with God. But yet he was in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto the death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, the name of Jesus. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I find that phrase interesting because so many people today do not want to confess or to agree that Jesus is Lord. The master of all. They want to be their own master. They will submit to a man quicker than they will God's son. They submit to the desires of their own life, but there's coming a day, brethren, that every knee, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We'll all stand before God on that great day. There will not be any confusion on that day as to who Jesus is. You will see him in the thr on the throne of his glory. He is highly exalted. He is Lord above all. It's in him that we live and move and have our being. And we're going to see him in his fullness and in his completeness. You may live your whole life on this earth. Live to be an old man or an old woman rejecting this. But there's coming a day that you won't reject it anymore. And you'll make that confession that Jesus is master over all. He's Lord. This morning, we're going to offer an invitation. The invitation for you is to come to Christ, God's only Son, who came in the flesh, dwelt among us, died a death that could pay for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day, and ascended back to heaven, where he received a kingdom. And this kingdom is the church that you will be admitted to. And that he's coming again to receive us to himself. 
If you're here today and you're not God's child, make that confession today and submit yourself to obey the gospel of his death, burial, and his resurrection and baptism, repenting of your sins. If you're here today and you need the prayers of the church, if we can help you in any way, our desire for you is to come and take a seat on the front. We'll, the, the brethren here will assist you in whatever way we can. Won't you come as together we stand and sing?